would appreciate it if you would pray for me. I had trouble making it through the last service. I have a sinus infection that has gone to my throat, and in spite of being married to a physician, none of the medicine is working. So this is really Rhonda's fault, <laughs> just saying publicly. But my voice is pretty good right now, so we'll see how this goes. I also I don't often do this, but I brought up a bottle of water, and I, I thought, okay, i got to open this water before I come up here, because I don't want to stand in front of you and be cranking and cranking, not able to open this bottle of water. So don't worry about that. Next week, we start a 10-week series on the two greatest opportunities, greatest distinctives of the Christian life, loving God, loving others. It's a series on 1 John, one of the most overlooked and underappreciated letters in the New Testament. We've entitled this series, Love Works, because love both acts and love is effective. That is, it is redemptive. In the years I've been here at Wheaton Bible Church, I've never done a series in 1 John, and I want you to know I can't wait. So would you join me in praying that God really uses this uh, to help us zero in on what loving God and loving others actually functionally looks like? Now today, and I have been planning this for some months, but today, especially in light of what we are seeing with this outpouring of generosity in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey all throughout the United States, I want to talk about what Christianity teaches about generosity. And what I want to argue from the beginning all the way through the end is that what Christianity teaches is a radical notion, an extremely radical notion, and it's this, that generosity for the follower of Jesus Christ is not an occasional, random response to a crisis. You know, here, text $10 to these numbers. But rather, it's a thoughtful, ongoing, continual, joyful way of life. Not an occasional response, but a way of life. As a matter of fact, generosity in the Bible is so very comprehensive, multidimensional. We are called as followers of Christ to be gen uh, generous to the orphans, to the widows, to the sick, to the hurting, to the immigrants among us. We are called to be generous with our time, generous with our talents. But today, I want to zero in and talk about financial generosity. What you and I do according to the Bible, what we are to do according to the Bible with our money. This wonderful, wonderful subject. And let me tell you why this is so important. Because the world today thinks the Bible is antiquated, ridiculous, and irrelevant. As a matter of fact, the reason they think that is because they think it's a narrow, restrictive, harsh uh, document that focuses on rules and judgment, right? But when it comes to this subject of generosity... Uh, those arguments fall away because the Bible is the most thorough and beautiful treatise on generosity in all of human literature. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, 
We see themes of generosity woven throughout. It's a dominant theme, for example, in the book of Proverbs, in the Minor Prophets. When we come to the New Testament, it's a dominant theme in Jesus' arguably most famous parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So what I want to do today is I want to make a Christian case for generosity. Not as a random occasional act, but as a way of life. And to do that, I want to give you four reasons why generosity as a lifestyle matters so very much according to the Bible. And then having done that, I'm going to draw a couple applications. So let's jump in. Why does generosity matter? Reason number one, because God is a generous God. God, think about this. God is the most generous being in the universe. God is always generous. There's never a moment, there's never a second, a nanosecond when God is not generous. And when we are generous, that is, when we live lifestyles of generosity, what are we doing? We're reflecting the reality that we've been made in the image of God. We're reflecting the character of God. I mean, follow the the storyline of the Bible. Creation, redemption, and restoration. (coughs) When we look at creation, I mean, what is creation and all its beauty and majesty and glory? but a constant display of God's generosity to us as humans. When we say God is love, or we cite, for example, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What are we saying? What what are we citing? But we're talking about what God has done in Jesus Christ. This breathtaking, sacrificial, amazing, gracious generosity displayed in redemption. Then when we look at the biblical teaching, this enormous body of teaching in the Bible on the restoration of planet earth, what we call the uh, coming new heavens and new earth, what is that? If it's not a display of God's awesome generosity, for his children, for all who believe throughout all of eternity, day in and day out, if I can say it that way. So when we look at creation, we look at redemption, when we look at restoration, we continually, repeatedly, every place we go, bump into God's generosity. God has a generous heart. Now let me illustrate this differently. Let's say your next door neighbor is digging in their backyard and they uncover $10 million. $10 million. And they go through the legal process, make a long story short, the money is theirs. They now have $10 million. And what do they do? Without blinking, without flinching, they give it all away to charity. And you're watching this and you're talking to them, your friends or your next door neighbors. And while you're thinking, you know, I'm not necessarily on that same page. You know, I'd probably keep a little back. I mean, I got to buy razor blades and mascara, whatever. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what you wouldn't think. You would never think that this was anything but one of the most incredible and good and excellent acts 
you have ever seen. Now, why? Because our generous God has created us in his image to be generous. According to Romans chapter 2, that means we all have innate senses being made in the image of God, of justice, goodness, love, and generosity. So this is why, and let me uh, talk about this in terms of Hurricane Harvey, we can see non-Christians, many, many non-Christians, be way more generous than Christians. How can that be? Because all of us as humans have been hardwired in the image of God to be generous. And generosity is a common grace God gives to all people because God is a generous God. <coughs> Another way to come at this is in the teaching of Jesus. In the Gospels, Jesus tells 38 parables. 16 of them not quite, but almost half of those parables are about money, possessions, and generosity. Or one of the three, money, possessions, generosity. That means almost half of Jesus' parables deal with this subject, what we do with our money. In the Bible, I mean Old Testament and New Testament, there are roughly 500 verses on faith, 500 verses on prayer. But get this, there are over 2,000 on money, possessions, and generosity. If Jesus decided to spend Labor Day weekend with you at your house, I can promise you one of the things he would talk about is generosity. His generosity and yours. It's a theme from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Now, let me go on. The first reason generosity matters is because God is a generous God. He has a generous heart. A second reason generosity matters is because there is no greater investment of your financial resources that you could ever make. Whether you have little or you have a lot, no greater investment of your finances, your financial resources. Now, let me demonstrate this. Turn with me to the very first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, and Matthew chapter 6. <coughs> and we're going to pick it up in verse 19. Look at two verses. They'll be on the screen, 19 and 20. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin. Now, what in the world are vermin? Well, uh, vermin are pests. Think, think of everything from lice to rats, and you get the picture. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, and this is the, the key line here, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now that first line in verse 20, storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven, is a reference to giving. It's a reference to sharing. It's in contrast to storing up treasures for ourselves in verse 19, the previous verse. And what is Jesus saying? Jesus says when we live that way, when that's our lifestyle... 
the dividends are eternal. They're out of the world. They're heavenly. It's the greatest, generosity is the greatest investment you will ever make bar none. And the implication here is it's a lifestyle. The great American theologian, Jonathan Edwards, I've shared this quote with you, I love this quote, said we, he said, it becomes us to spend this life only as a journey toward heaven. And then he goes on and says, to which we subordinate all other desires, all other circumstances. Jesus is teaching the same thing. Jesus is saying, when heaven, when heaven is your destination, giving will be your delight. Destination, delight. Jesus is teaching, you can't take it with you, send it ahead. Life is like playing Monopoly. You know, while we're playing the game, we want to acquire houses and, um, can you acquire hotels in Monopoly? I can't remember. Yes? Was that a yes? Yeah. Okay, houses and hotels, and you, you know, you want it to be, uh, you know, all in the green. And then you accumulate money, and you're hoping you're destroying everybody else that's playing. But when the game is over, when your life is over, what happens? It all goes back in the box. You can't take it with you, Jesus is saying. Send it ahead. Live a life of generosity. Look at how Randy Alcorn, in his wonderful little book, Treasure Principle, puts it when he comments on this passage. Jesus functions here in Matthew 6 as a foremost market timer. He tells us to once and for all switch investment vehicles. He instructs us to transfer our funds from earth, volatile and temporary, to heaven, which is totally dependable, insured by God himself, and is coming soon to forever replace the current earth's economy. Christ's financial forecast for earth is bleak, moss and vermin, but he's unreservedly bullish about investing in heaven, where every market indicator is eternally positive. According to Jesus, storing up earthly treasures, and I love this, isn't simply wrong, it's just plain stupid. I mean, think about that. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, Rob, that's really easy for you to say. You don't understand my debt. You don't understand my expenses, my tuition payments. Friends, generosity is a reflex of faith. It isn't the amount of money, it's the amount of faith. That's the point in Luke chapter 21 of Jesus' story of the widow, this precious woman, and her giving into the temple treasure treasury, what we call the widow's might, these two copper coins. And what does Jesus say to the disciples? He says, look at what she did with what little she had, what little she had, emphasis on little. And what he's saying in effect, look at her faith. It's not the amount, it's a faith thing. And by the way, this is why we have to be really, really careful about debt, because debt can become a form of bondage. 
It can handcuff you. And you can walk through life financially handcuffed because of excessive debt, credit card debt, all sorts of debt. Now, I believe that debt is appropriate for mortgages and some things like that. I'm not going to say debt is always wrong, but debt has a way of becoming a bondage if we let it get out of control. This is why in January, like we do every January um, here at Wheaton Bible Church, we offer Financial Peace University to help people, good people, wrestle with these issues of debt, and that will be coming in a couple of months. Now, let me go on. So what I have said is generosity, according to the Bible, according to Christianity, as a lifestyle matters because that's how God lives. And secondly, because according to Matthew chapter 6, it's the greatest investment we will ever make. Now, third, the third reason it matters is because, (coughs) excuse me, the Bible teaches that God owns everything. Now, this is so counterintuitive. It's really actually difficult for us to swallow. But what the sweep of the Bible tells us is that generosity is a fruit of a root conviction that God owns all my stuff. I love the story that emerged from the life of the famous Jonathan or John Wesley. When his house burned down, all his possessions were destroyed. They went up in flames. And Wesley is standing in front of his house, watching his house, his possessions burned to the ground. He turns to a neighbor and he says, this was God's house in the first place. Man, you have not made yourself and you are not made for yourself. You have not made yourself, you're not made for yourself and the same is true with your possessions, your assets, your stuff. Now let's go to another parable of Jesus or to a parable of Jesus. So fast forward in Matthew to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to pick it up in verse 14. Now because this is a parable, a parable we know is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The heavenly meaning here is all about how we are to live our lives before God in this life. Now, when you look at the first verse, verse 14, I want you to understand two things. The man going on the journey is God. He is the owner. The servants are you and me. A bag of gold is a whole lot of money. Approximately 20 years of income. So let's pick it up and let's begin in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. Again, it will be like a man. What will be like a man? The kingdom of heaven as it plays out in earth and in the future will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two, to another one bag, each according to his ability. 
Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. We are told later in the parable, we won't go there this morning, that he did that because he did not know the master's heart. The reason we struggle with generosity is we do not know God's heart. Now, commenting on what we just read, and we'll continue in a little bit. The man going on the journey is who? The servants are who? Us. We are the servants. And Jesus is making a profound point. The point is, all of our wealth, all of our assets, our cars, our houses, our apartments, whatever, all of us, all of that is God's. They are given to us by God. They're the bags of gold God gives us. This is the point of the Old Testament, the wonderful uh, first verse of Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all, all who live in it, everything and all. Now, this is the counterintuitive part because the reality, the way we uh, is, the way we live our daily lives is we think, well, I paid for this. Or I made this. Or I acquired this. I mean, this has been in my family for three or four uh, generations. This is mine. No. God gave you your eyes. God gave you your breath. God gives you your breath. God gave you your hands. God gives you your talents. God gives you your abilities. God gives you your health. God owns your house. Your bank accounts. Your cars, he can have my car because my car is 13 years old and it's beginning to rust. But isn't that kind of how we are as Christians? Oh yeah, this stuff, it doesn't matter. But this stuff, it matters and it's mine. You know, this is mine, I'm, I'm holding on to this. But that's an owner mentality, not a servant mentality. So here we stumble onto a secret. Really, the secret to a lifestyle of generosity, and there's more, and I'll talk about more. But it's moving from this notion, I am going to give back to God from what is mine in the first place, to this uh, concept that I have an ongoing stewardship responsibility to invest in the kingdom of God what is God's in the first place. He's the owner, I'm the servant. Recently, I read a blog on money principles for millennials. And this was the very first point. Replace the notion it is mine with the notion it is God's. You millennials, are you there? This is Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is telling us uh, that God is the owner, that we are the servants. Our bags of gold are God's. They come from God. 
Is it that way in your house? Are your bags of gold yours or are they God's? How do you look at them? You see, money either finances your allegiance to self or reveals your allegiance to God. Where are you? Let me go on, the fourth reason. And this will be the last reason. The fourth reason generosity matters. And by generosity, I mean this radical notion that generosity is a way of life, not an occasional, periodic, once a year, random act. The reason it matters is because the lifestyle of generosity makes God exceedingly happy. It pleases God. Now let's continue reading. Let's pick it up in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two. I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now there's more, but I'm going to stop here. Notice what the master doesn't say to these two faithful servants. He doesn't say, be happy. He says something much deeper. He says, come and share in your master's happiness in this life and the life to come. Now, yes, this passage, these bags of gold represent the entirety of our lives. And this is, this is a parable about what we do with our time, our talents, our treasure. It's all inclusive. And whether we are in as being servants or we are stubborn and refusing because we view ourselves as owners. But generosity is a subset of that stewardship responsibility. Generosity is one of the primary ways we express the reality that we understand we're servants. <laughs> How you handle your money will either finance your allegiance to self or reveal your allegiance to God. And we see the same thing here in the language of the master that we see in Genesis chapter 1. What does God say at the conclusion of the days that he has created as one day after another gives way? Uh, what we see is God looking and seeing that it's good. God saying to himself, this is good, this is good. Oh, this is good, this is beautiful. And what we learn here in Matthew chapter 25 in the New Testament is when we as God's servants, God's children, as followers of Christ, live faithful servant lives of generosity rather than, than living lives of stingy owners, what does God say? 
He says the same thing he said in Genesis chapter 1. It is good, well done, good and faithful servants. And then to boot, he adds, come and enter into your master's happiness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, we are explicitly told God loves a cheerful giver. Here, Jesus is saying the same thing. Come and enter into your master's happiness, but differently. Generosity is a primary way you and I please God. We enter into that joy, that happiness in this life and the life to come. And what that also means, and I want you to note this, that giving a life of generosity should be an incredible source of joy for us. I saw this played out a couple of months ago with Rhonda. Uh, Rhonda became aware of a need, uh, a need an older couple had, some basic needs because of a crisis. And she stepped in so fast, we really hardly talked about it. And the only, ex- uh, the only thing that exceeded the, uh, um, the quickness of her response was the extent of her joy in tangibly helping this couple in extending significant generosity to them. And it was a beautiful thing for me to watch. She talked about it for several days. As a couple, we love stepping in and giving to special situations. As a matter of fact, I'm always trying to have to pull Rhonda back. Uh, We love giving to missionaries, giving to different organizations. We love giving to the church. And I want you to know, for Rob and Rhonda, it's an incredible source of joy. Is it for you? Come, enter into your master's happiness. Now, I want to make three applications Three things we must get inside our craniums if we are going to make this transition from occasionally, periodically, uh, giving and sharing to generosity as a way of life. And here's the first. You understand, you understand in the depths of your heart that king money will never deliver what it promises. That nothing in the physical created world will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. We tend to think, however, that our problem is a lack of money and the solution is more money. No, the problem is the idol, the idol factory in our heart. And the solution is living in light of the gospel. It's not a money thing. Now, back to the blog for um, millennials that I read. The way they stated it at this point, and I I love this, is we must replace, millennials must replace the notion, all of us must replace the notion of nobody tells me what to do. With God, I will submit to your plan. I will trust your plan for my life. 
Are you there with money matters? Freedom, there's lots of different ways to say this, but freedom isn't the ability to do whatever you want. Freedom is the ability to live a life of faith, of confidence in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Uh, You are a servant, you are not an owner, and that's where the joy is. How, How you spend your money is always, always an act of worship. It's not a question of whether you're worshiping, it's a question of who are you worshiping. How you spend your money is always, always an act of worship. And how you give is always an act of joy. So let me go on to application number two. And here I'm going to restate what I have stated. Generosity isn't a random occasional act, it's a life. It's a way of life. Now, I've stated this as a second application because I want to move on. And I want to talk about what this means financially. Financially, it means that those of us that follow Jesus Christ and love Jesus Christ are moving toward the biblical concept of tithing. A tithe in the Bible is 10%. It's an Old Testament concept that gives way when we come to the New Testament to what we call proportionate giving. Giving, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, as a a proportion of our income. But here's the the cool thing in this sauce. Proportionate giving, according to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, always assumes tithing as a baseline. As a baseline. So that means for the follower of Christ, we are either moving toward tithing or moving beyond tithing as God prospers us and gives us faith. I've mentioned a couple times recently, Rhonda and I got married almost 10 years ago. And Rhonda and her first husband, Tom, both doctors, gave away a significant, a major percent of their combined income every year. And I will never forget that first December, Rhonda coming to me. Now, we'd just been married like a week And she came to me, and she handed me a manila folder. And she said to me, this is where, this is to who Tom and I give, and this is how much. And I wish I could tell you I took that folder with great joy. (laughs) The reality is I panicked. Because I thought, okay, here we are in second marriages. I've got this stream of giving. Rhonda and Tom had this stream of giving. What in the world am I going to do? And then to add a little spice to the sauce, I remember looking at Rhonda and saying, hey, Rhonda, you do remember that Tom was a surgeon and I'm a pastor. (laughs) And Rhonda, bless her heart, she looked at me and said, you figure it out. And she walked out of the room. So we figured it out, and we're still figuring it out, and that's kind of how life works. But I wonder, have you figured it out? Do you have a manila folder? Do you have an electronic folder where your ongoing regular giving goes inside? Where you pray about it, where you track it, where you see whether it's growing over time or not? 
Have you figured it out? You see, generosity isn't just that act. It's a way of life. So people come to me and say, hey, Rob, on this giving thing, is it 10% of gross or is it 10% of net? Yeah, how do you want to be blessed? Is that what you said, Pete? Yeah, but my response is not only how do you want to be blessed, my response is, well, who gave you the gross? And then people say, well, who should I give to? And my response is, well, you should give wisely. You should give broadly if you can. And because of the New Testament emphasis on the local church, you should start with your church. And on that note, when you give to Wheaton Bible Church, I want you to see how it's distributed. Now, our mission, our vision, the outcomes we're looking for is that more and more people would love God, grow together, and reach the world. So when you give, 24% goes to what we, the area of loving God, 31% growing together, 31% reaching the world, and supporting activities at 14%. Now, I want you to see the blue. What that means is almost one-third of every dollar you give to Wheaton Bible Church comes here and leaves. And it's part of our significant major external focus in local ministries of compassion and global missions. And frankly, the fact that it's almost one-third makes us an outlier among evangelical churches. We are way ahead in this area. It's been a historic strength and a significant part of our ministry. And I just want you to know that. That's how it plays out. Now, here's why I'm telling you this. Not because I want something from you, but because I want something for you. And there's a big difference. Living a life of generosity, of giving and sharing, uh, coupled and uh, covered with joy, is simply bringing the lordship of Jesus Christ into every area of your family. It's the reflex of faith. It's saying, I'm all in. Okay, here's the third and the final, I think the most important application. I, I long for you to understand that ultimately giving isn't a command to obey. It's a miracle to experience. It's an internal thing, not an external thing, ultimately. It's something God produces in us by his spirit. It's a grace we receive because we are new creatures in Christ, blown away by the perfect life, perfect death, perfect resurrection of Jesus, and we can't wait to give. It's because we understand the cross of Jesus Christ is the most dramatic act of generosity in all of the universe. I mean, to think of the mess each and every one of us has made of our own lives, the, the idols, the false gods we cling to in our heart. And Jesus came and bore all of that on the cross. And when uh, Jesus comes and we believe in uh, Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives and begins a slow but steady process of... Um, turning us into the image of Christ. 
On the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus turned to, God turned his back on his son that he would never turn his back on those who believe. On the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus became empty that we might become full. He became poor that we might become rich. He was made sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And when we see that, when we understand that, that melts our hearts. And generosity is the fruit. Just as thunder follows lightning, generosity follows grace. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at your goodness and grace. We marvel at what you have given us in your Son. And we ask now as we turn to worship, you would continue to speak to us by your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rob. Let's stand.